Good morning, church. What a privilege it is to come and share with you God's word on the last day of the the final um, sermon of the year. And uh, I bring you greetings. Um, Connie, my wife, is uh, not well, and so she's resting at home. We just came back from a four-day holiday in Chirating, and so I think it was just too much fun that we couldn't handle it. But uh, we're um, glad that uh, to be able to come and share with you God's word this morning. Um, I bring you greetings also from Subang, uh, as Pastor Tony is preaching there. He told me today to send his love and greetings as well. Um, so, I, um, this is the final day. It is a good time of the year, actually, to do a reflection of how the year went by. How has 2023 been to you? And uh, as we prepare for 2024, as we enter, as we stand at the gateway of a new year, uh, and, and it's a good time to reflect of how God has brought you through. Uh, as a church, amazingly, I was, I've been journeying with the elders here, looking, after, looking for a place, being disappointed, looking for another place, being disappointed over and over again. But finally, God brought you to a, a place where you can call home. And it's so special that CDPC Puchong has a place of their own. And not only Jet, but a beautiful place, a very uh, place that you can actually use and and grow as a church. And, uh, and so it's a good time to, to reflect on all that God has done for the church as well as for you individually and your walk with Christ. I, I know 2023 has not been an easy year for Connie and I. We, my, uh, her father passed away in the end of 2022. My, my dad came to stay with us uh, in January of 2023 until August 2023 when he passed on. And so that was eight months being able to be with him, but both Connie and I were grieving our loss of our father. Uh, her mother came to stay with us, so we're looking after two elderly parents in our home, and it was very stressful for those of you who know. Uh, looking after a sick one or, or an elderly parent is not easy, right? And uh, very tiring. But um, as we reflect, um, God, we see God's faithfulness in all of this. It's easy from from this end to look back and see what God has done and be thankful and give thanks to that for that. Um, Brian, my, my oldest son, also got married on August 29th, nine days, sorry, uh, August 20th, uh, nine days before my father passed on. So he, my father was able to, to be at the wedding. So that was very special for him. But after that, Brian went to, and Sarah went to stay with, stay in the house, my, my dad's house uh, in Sipa, it's an, uh, where I grew up. And uh, it was very special. But, you know, one thing about my parents, they never throw anything away. I think in that generation, they don't throw anything away. And it was quite embarrassing when uh, our care group, uh, Brian's care group, a young adult's care group, went to help him clean the house. 30 bags of rubbish, and that was only maybe a fraction of the things to clear. But even my exercise book from Standard One is still there. It's a bit embarrassing because the care group comes and, and they look through the book and they know now and it's all over Subang now that Pastor Ming has, is very bad in admets. <laughs> but but uh, uh, um, one of the things that I, we found, and I was glad that they did it because if I was there, I would go through one by one and it'll take forever, very sentimental. But I just told them, just throw everything away. I, I looked through some things that Connie and I want to keep and then the rest just throw it away. But um, um, there was one card that was very special that spoke to my brother. I took a picture and I sent it to him. It was a birthday card, the first birthday card 
of my my mother who was a who became a who became a mother herself right uh what i'm trying to say is my first uh, andre my oldest brother was born so they got married in uh, 1962 andre was born in december 17 1963 and then march 1964 was my mother's birthday and so that was the first birthday uh, as a as a mother and it struck my brother as I was in Thanksgiving, spending Thanksgiving with my brother in the States. Uh, and we took a walk and, and as you, you know, we tried to spend one morning together, at least just to talk. And he was reflecting on that and he said, you know, there was a time when it was just three of them and, and he was a baby and uh, my parents had hopes. It was a young couple. They just got married. They have their firstborn. They just bought a house. They got a good job. And they, they have these hopes and dreams of a life together and a future. And then five years later, what a blessing, I was born. And then, and then they go on uh, in life and they get a good job. They put us through school, educate, gave us good education, worked hard. And then they passed on. They reached ninth. My dad, my mom passed away at 77 in 2009. My dad uh, just last this year in August. And so 14 years after my mom passed away, my dad lived on. Um, but um, they were on that end and they look back and life is over. And now when my brother and I were reflecting, we were saying, we are now at this stage. Our children are adult children. They are, uh, his children are married. My oldest is married. Uh, we are thankful that all six of them, he has three, I have three, all six of, our, of them love the Lord, serve the Lord, go to church and are faithful Christians. And we are thankful for that. Um, and that's God's grace and mercy to us. Um, but as we look back, we said, in 20 years, we'll be on that end. We'll go the way of my father and my mother, and, and they will have married, and they'll have children, and they will go that way where all our forefathers go. So seasons come, seasons grow, go. They, sunrise, sun come down. Is that all life is all about? And, I, and I ref, we, as we reflected on that, we said, this is exactly what Koheleth said in Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, if this is all that is to life, isn't it? And, and so it has to be, have something more. As Christians, there must be something more, or else it is truly just vanity as we live our lives in such a way. And so I hope that as, as by the end of the sermon, we, we can see that there is a purpose, that God has called us for a purpose and a reason, and there are real names and real lives and real stories of disappointments and failures and sin and uh, injustice in the, in the names and lives of the people that are in the Bible. And then we're going to see what connection that is to us in the 21st century in Puchong, sitting here, this congregation, uh, in light of all these people that are in this genealogy that I will read in Matthew chapter 1. So um, let me, let's just turn to your, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. I'll read it. But as I read these, just take note that, yeah, they may just be names on, on a page, but they had real lives, real stories, real encounters with God and with life, real suffering, real pain, real tribulations in their lives, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, 
and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amidaba, and Amidabnadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brother at the time of deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shatil, and Shatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Hakim, and Hakim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the earthly genealogy of Jesus Christ. We pray that as your word is spoken today, that you would speak to us. Comfort us in our walk in our, and convict us where we need, Lord. Speak to us this morning through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew seeks to introduce Jesus Christ by way of genealogy. His, his audience was mainly a Jewish, a Jewish Christians, and so he, over here, it's obvious that he seeks to link Jesus' birth to uh, Father Abraham. And so he starts off with Abraham as, as the father of the nation of, the, of Israel. But he, he's, he says something here that's interesting. He, says, he begins with, by saying the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That word genealogy is geneseos, which, which means origin, which means the beginning or the origin, uh, the descendants of Jesus Christ. And we know that from Matthew's counterpart, John, who says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was uh, God, uh, and uh, he was in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ, the origin, his beginning, was with God at creation. This is the beginning. So what Matthew is saying in the first sentence here is that Jesus Christ is God. This is his origin, this is his beginning, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And so God, so Jesus is fully God as he, as he starts this off. It's also, you, it's also found in Genesis 2.5, in the beginning, when the word, uh, uh, the, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the origin, the beginning of the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 5.1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made man in the likeness of him. And so it's obvious that Matthew is trying to link this as a new beginning. 
yeah, God had created the heavens and the earth, but sin came in and, and it was destroyed and devastated and the world wasn't the way it, God had created it to be. But Matthew is saying, here is a beginning, here is a new beginning. It is the book of origin, it is the book of a, and, and Matthew declares it, it's like 400 years of silence, and now Matthew is declaring that Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, the Savior that we've all been waiting for, is born. And he says, so this is the beginning, this is the Christ that we've been waiting for. And not only that, now he says that this is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why, why these two? Why the son of David and the son of Abraham? Well, because God had, in, in the Old Testament, had made a covenant both with David and with Abraham. And these covenants were very special. And they, they, they were promises that God made to, to the nation and to, and to the people. And so uh, we will look a little bit at and that in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 or 1 Chronicles 7 also. It says, when your days are over, God spoke to, to David, when your days are over, uh, and you go to be with your ancestors, God says, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. And one of your sons, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I, I will establish his throne forever. It's an everlasting throne, he says. I will be his father and he will be my son. My steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So God is, is telling David that in your line, your son is going to reign and he and it's going to be an everlasting kingdom. It's going to be a great kingdom. But as we saw, as we read through Judges, we know that many uh, uh, kings, that many of David's sons proved to be quite unfaithful, isn't it? One after another, generation after generation, the people find themselves looking and wondering, is this the one? Is this king now the one? Is he going to be the faithful son of David who, is finally, who finally comes and fully rescues God's people? It doesn't happen. Until finally now, Matthew tells us that, that, that even though all these years there were there were uh, no king on the throne and monarchy seems to have failed. Finally, in the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of time, God reveals the son of David who will be the perfect son, that great king whom God had promised David. And it's God himself in the flesh. Jesus Christ, a son of David, a son of God. Because it says there in in that, in that passage in 2 Samuel, I will be his father and he will be my son. How is it that this son of David, this line in David, will also be a son of God the Father? Well, only now do we understand it is Jesus Christ. He comes from the line of David in his earthly heritage, but he's also the son of God. All man, fully man, and fully God. The second is he says that he is also the son of Abraham. Now, God had also made a covenant with Abraham. And that covenant was that, uh, if we look at Genesis chapter 15, we see that God had taken Abraham outside. First of all, in Genesis 12, God told Abraham to leave his, his home, to go to a land in which God would show him. Then in Genesis 15, God let uh, Abraham out and said, look up to the sky. Your descendants will be as many as the numbers of the stars in the sky. And he says, the land, I will take you to the land and you will 
uh, inherit this land that I will give to you. And then Abraham said uh, in Genesis 15, Oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said, Okay, I will make a covenant with you now. And he says, Take a, a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon, and cut them in half, bleeding all over. And he laid them each uh, on two sides, <clears throat> except the birds, they were not cut. But then birds came and, and ate the carcass, and Abram drove them away. <coughs> and as the sun was going down, a deep sleep, it says, fell on Abram. And as Abram went into sleep, we see that a, uh, in verse 17 that of Genesis 15, that, and the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. What God was doing was a covenant, was was. Um, ratifying a covenant between Abraham and God. And we know that uh, this was not a strange thing, that in, that in those times, this was very common that, uh, on how covenants were made, that any of the covenant breakers will suffer the fate of those animals. That was the seriousness of this covenant that God was making with his people. That if any, of the, any party was to break this covenant, you will be cut in half and, and bleed and blood and die uh, as these animals, uh, well, it was a very graphic scene of, of this covenant that we, that is the seriousness of this covenant. And it says that on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenites, the Catmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gerashites, and the Jebusites. And it says in Genesis 17, Abram fell, fell face down as the covenant was read to him again. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. And I will have you uh, a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come to you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you, the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This was God's promise to Abraham, that he will be their God, and they will be his people. Now at that time, Abraham and Sarah had no child, children at all. And so we, we will look a little bit later at that story. But here are two covenants that if you see that is meant, the Davidic covenant, Jesus Christ fulfilled. The covenant to Abraham, was fulfilled as Joshua entered the promised land. But more than that, uh, as, as a people, as, as number of the people in the, in the sky, the church today is, is as many as, as that. Uh, as if Abraham was to look down today and, and, and see what has happened, he would understand that the, the, co the covenant God made with him is fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. So it's a gracious covenant. God makes a unilateral promise. The covenant to Abraham promises descendants, children from Abraham, as many as the stars in the sky. They will be fruitful and they will go in to possess the land. From Abraham, there will be King David, and from King David, there will come an everlasting kingdom in his son, Jesus Christ. And so then Matthew goes on to list down a genealogy, an earthly genealogy, of Jesus Christ, of his ancestry, of where he came from. 
And again, these are real stories of real people with real hurts and real failures, real disappointments, real victims of injustice, real pain and real suffering. And just as I look, uh, just take the first one. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob. Uh, we won't go through every name here. There are just too many for today. Um, but just a few. Abraham uh, was the father of Isaac. And we know that story there, isn't it? In, in, uh, as Abraham um, and Sarah were promised uh, the, the son that would be born, Sarah was already... Uh, 99 years old and Sarah was 89 years old. Abraham was 99, Sarah was 80, uh, 89 years old. And, and Sarah laughed when God had told, told them that they would have a child because she was probably menopause. And, and how do you have a child in that way, right? And so Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years. Sorry, he was 75 at that time and 65 when that, when that was given. And so by the time he had Isaac, he was 99 years old. And Sarah was 89 years old. But can you imagine the emotions that both Abraham and Sarah, 25 years, every day thinking, when is this child coming? When is this promise going to be met? When is this? And, and the emotions of going up and down and thinking, when will this child that God had promised be born? And we know that God was faithful and Isaac was born. And even though that Abraham tried to take it, uh, take it into their own hands, Abraham and Sarah, uh, through Hagar, but God had an intention that he would, uh, the covenant would be kept through uh, Isaac, the son. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah. And here is Judah, who is a, um, a Jacob, or, or Jacob in Hebrew means to follow after or or sometimes as a supplanter, as someone who circumvent, who assail or overreach. And this was Jacob's character. Uh, he was, he was a, a, a deceiver. He had tricked his brother of, a, uh, of, of, of his uh, birthright uh, with, a, with a soup, right? With a bowl of soup. He caused Esau to give him his birthright. He deceived his father Jacob, covered his hands with lambskin so that it felt hairy. And as, uh, as Jacob blessed, um, blessed him. And so then, uh, and so then he, Jacob runs and, and uh, as Esau tries to kill him, he runs to Mesopotamia. And then he, there we learn that he fell in love with a shepherd girl, was promised a hand in marriage. And after seven years of labor uh, to Laban, finally, uh, he, he gets to marry this girl of his dreams. But then on the wedding night, you know what happened? You take out the veil and you found that it wasn't, it was the, the Bible calls says the weak-eyed Leah um, instead of Rachel. And after seven years, uh, he works another seven years to get Rachel. And then he proves his love to Rachel that way. The deceiver had been deceived. Then Jacob gets word his brother Esau was coming with 400 men. And he panics and he says, oh no, now I'm going to die, right? My, my brother Esau is coming with 400 men. And so desperate and fearful, he, he plans, he, he divides the camp into two so that maybe one gets to escape while one is being uh, killed. 
And so in the night, he desperately prays. He desperately prays, uh, uh, Oh God, my father Abraham, God of my father, deliver me from Esau. You commanded me, return to the land, your fathers and your kindred, and you, and you promised I will be with you. And so he, he desperately prays uh, for help. And, and then he hears a, uh, some, someone coming along and he says, Oh no, Esau is coming, but no. He knows Esau's stride and it wasn't Esau, but it was a, a man. And, and, he, and, he, uh, and he knows that this man wasn't, wasn't out to, he was out to like fight him. A man crossing the ford. Fear shot through him. And Jacob began to realize that this was not a mere man, but God himself in Genesis 32. That was when Jacob held on till morning, wrestling with this, with this man. Refused to let go, even though his hip was in pain. He said, I will only let you go if you bless me, if you, if you rescue me, if you save me. And Jacob finally was desperate enough to stop from his deceptive ways and, and his getting his own way and always trying to take things into his own hands and control. And now he says, I depend on God, his grace and his mercy. He wouldn't let go. And God said, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Your name will be Israel, the one who perseveres. So his name is called. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. I will give this land to your descendants after you. See, the covenant that God made with Abraham and with Isaac is now given also to Jacob. Jacob lived his life deceiving and being deceived. He was a hardened man. But yet God had dealt with him. And in his desperation, he clung unto God. And God revealed himself to him. Real story of real failures, of real victims of injustice, but we see again God's redemptive hand even in Jacob's life. How about the story of Ruth, a story of Naomi, right? In, in verse 5, it's, it mentions that uh, Obed by Ruth. Well, Naomi uh, and her husband had gone to Moab because of a Famine in Judah had two uh, sons, married Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, and then her husband dies. Naomi's husband dies, leaving her, her two sons uh, and, and their wives. Talk about moving to a foreign land and being lonely, right? And then not only that, her two sons dies, and alone with two widows in the foreign land. Just imagine Naomi's life. And she said she wants to go back to her homeland. She wants to go back. And she told the two uh, daughter-in-laws to go back to their mothers because there's no one, nothing for you as we go back into the land. Into, and she returns back to, Ju to Judah. And she told the two daughter-in-laws to go back, but they refused. And then she insisted. And so Orpah uh, agreed, but Ruth refused. And that is where we get that famous saying, that Ruth said, wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God, and your people, my people. And that was what Ruth had told uh, Naomi. And so Ruth was a faithful daughter-in-law and followed Naomi all the way back. And so then Judah, in Judah, Ruth found a, a man, uh, Naomi's, a relative of Naomi's husband. And so Ruth married Boaz. And Boaz said, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land come to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done, and full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose, whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Ruth had put her faith in, in, in the God of, of Naomi, in the God of, of uh, and, and decided to go back and say, your, your God will be my God, your people, my people. So she put her faith in Yahweh and she decided to follow. Well, things didn't turn out for Ruth and Naomi as they had planned, as they lived their lives, as they were hopeful, as they married in, 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 in Moab. But God took Ruth's story of brokenness, of a loss of a husband, and redeemed it, and renewed it through a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, who would continue the line. And so we see real lives of real people, of real pain, of real loneliness, of real suffering. But God redeems it for his glory and his purpose. And then we look at verse 6. It's interesting. It says here, uh, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. I think Matthew purposely says this. He doesn't say Bathsheba. He says the wife of Uriah. Just to remind you of David's failure, of David's sin, as we know. David didn't go to battle. He wanted to relax up in the, in the balcony, and then he saw what he shouldn't have seen and was tempted and uh, committed adultery and then committed murder through the killing of uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And so Matthew here says that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. This was David's failure. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Uh, and, and so we see that there's an adulterer and a murderer even in Jesus' genealogy. How messy can that be? Uh, Rehoboam, in, in uh, Solomon's son, he started off well as a good king, but then became strong, and then he, he became unfaithful to the Lord, made alliance with Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. So here is again this, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, who failed, who started off well, but didn't finish well. See, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Quite a mess, isn't it? Quite a mess. If there's, there are also four women, which is very unusual to, in those days to have a genealogy with women in it. But there are four women here to take note who were not Jewish, who were not of the covenant by virtue of their faith in, but became part of the covenant by virtue of their faith in Yahweh. There was Tamar in Genesis 38, the daughter-in-law of Judah. Um, Tamar married Ur, but then he died. And so by law, Tamar was supposed to marry the second so that the child, he, she can continue the child. And then, uh, but Judah wouldn't give the third and fourth son. And so Tamar sought to deceive Judah by taking off her widow's clothes and then um, putting on the clothes of a prostitute. And as Judah was there, he, he went into, uh, into this prostitute and then uh, Tamar was smart. Tamar said, uh, give me something. Uh, and so he gave a card and, and a robe and a card and what was it? I can't remember, a card and a staff. That's right. And, and, and so then um, she kept it. And when she was three months pregnant, uh, how is this widow now pregnant? And so Judah wants to uh, punish her. But, but then she takes out the, the card and the staff and said, the person who impregnated me gave me this. And Judah was 
filled with uh, convicted and filled with shame as he realized that he was the father uh, of Tema's child. Real story of real people, of real disappointments, of real pain. And then there's Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, uh, redeemed and uh, gave birth to Boaz, who became the kinsman redeemer to Ruth. And then there's Bathsheba, who was uh, taken advantage of by King David. These are the four women that I mentioned here, real people with real stories, but many of but these women who made choices of faith to follow Yahweh and to put their trust in Him. There are a few observations here. Um, I'll just quickly go through. In verse 16, it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph. In verse 16, it says, uh, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now you notice here, it doesn't say uh, the father of uh, Jesus, the father, Joseph, the father of Jesus, um, because this is not a, uh, Jesus wasn't conceived through earthly seed, but was born of a virgin, uh, God himself in the form of a man. So it's very clear that as uh, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. And then in verse 17, also that um, if you read here, it says, so all the generations from Abram to David, 14 generations, David to the deportation, Babylon, 14 generations, and from Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now, why this number 14? We, we know that there are some kings that are even left out here uh, of this 14. So there are more than that. But why 14? Um, scholars have said that um, the word David in Hebrew, DWD, uh, is, is, uh, has value to it and in the Hebrew characters, and it's 464, which adds up to 14. And so uh, Matthew was doing some grammatology, um, is, is that what it's called? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, but I, also, I think that these are three significant events, that if you see that Abraham to David was the rising of a king, that God had raised up David, King David. When David to the Babylonian exile is the fall of a kingdom and their kings. And then it says Babylon to Christ is now the birth of a true king and an eternal kingdom in the line of David. And so Matthew is just trying to say to the Jewish audience that these are the main events in the history of our, in our history, but Jesus is finally the fulfillment of all that we've been waiting for in the covenants that God had promised his people. Jesus, who is born now, is truly the fulfillment of this covenant that God has made with his people. And he and God fashioned it such that the names and the people here would live their lives through their struggles, through their pain and suffering, redeem what was lost so that they can fulfill God's great and grand redemptive plan of history. <clears throat> now, what does this mean to us here? How does this matter to us in 21st century, Puchong, you sitting right here, just a list of names, right? What does it do? I, I turn you to um, efficiency. I realize I actually gave the wrong uh, Ephesians 2, 11 to 21, but that was a great verse as well. <laughs> um, Ephesians 2, 
11 to 21. I read, if you have your Bibles, I hope that this will tie in everything that I've just said to our lives today and to, make, and, and to have some meaning to our lives. That's what we all seek, right, as we enter 2024. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near, for through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom we, the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What this is saying is that you and I are now part of this covenant that God had made with the people. See, it says here, by, remember that you were once separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants. You had nothing to do with this promise that God made with the people of Israel uh, 3,000 years ago. You had nothing to do with it, but now because of Christ, it says you are no longer strangers of the covenant of promise. In other words, this genealogy, this covenant is now your covenant. What God promised the people of Israel back then is your promise to you today. This genealogy is your genealogy. As you read this genealogy, you say, my name is in there. And I continue this genealogy in my life here in the 21st century in Subang Jaya, in Puchong, in Selangor, wherever God has put you. You continue this story of God's redemptive purpose. So at the end of time, when, you're, when you come to the, the end of your time, when you are 90 years old or 80 years old, or if, or if God's mercy you, takes you earlier, somebody will write a story and say, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Joshua. The gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Andrew, the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Han Ming. How did you live your life for the sake of the gospel that God has called you so that you fulfill God's redemptive, eternal plan? What is your story in God's great redemptive plan? Your life here today is not meaningless. It is not just vanity of vanities. You are part of this genealogy. You are part of this continued story that God is unfolding to the end of time. And that is the exciting thing that we live our lives as you enter 2024 to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you to live out. What is it that God wants you to do for him? And this, it says, is done through, um, but now in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
you're brought near by the blood of Christ. That this covenant that breakers of all these genealogy uh, covenant breakers, including us, was fulfilled through blood, through the blood of Jesus Christ. When he shed his blood to fulfill the covenant that God made with Abraham. Jesus Christ himself walked through the torn animals and he himself uh, was ripped apart for our sake, shed his blood so that we now can be in Christ and one with Christ. So Jesus Christ came and he fulfilled the old covenant and put in place a new covenant in which you and I now live. How then should we live? How then should we live in light of this truth that we are part of this God's story, part of this great and grand redemptive story of God? There are three things I can think of. It's the one that we be comforted. We can take comfort in knowing that whatever scars we have been through, whatever pain that we have been afflicted with, whatever damage that you have grown up, whether it be abused, from coming from an abused family, you have gone through a a, a divorce recently, you've gone through a broken relationship, if you, whatever sickness or, or, or pain that you have suffered this last many years, know that you're part of God's redemptive story, that it's going to end well, that there is a hope that is our anchor that is within the veil, whom Jesus Christ as our forerunner has gone before us. And he will come back and take us home, and we will be in our glorified bodies. So this is a temporal, light, and momentary affliction that we go through. And so whatever God, whatever you've been through in 2023 or 2022 or in the past, we know that God will redeem, and God will restore, and God will make better, and heal, and bring restoration to your life. That is so that we can be comforted in knowing that. The second thing I can think of is that we can be, take courage. We can take courage in knowing that whatever is ahead in 2024, God has ordained, that God has uh, uh, redeemed, and that we can live our lives in, with courage as, as Joshua was going to enter the promised land. God said, be strong and courageous, for I have already given you the land. God has already given to us. So whatever God has called you to do, in 2024, if you are at a crossroad, if you are going to do something big, like in, uh, in, 20, in 2012, I mean, I was 44 years old, I, I, God called me to go to seminary. I was uh, 20 years in commercial, uh, corporate and commercial life. At, two, at 44 years old, God had called me to go to seminary and to serve. In 45, I think 47, I came out to... Uh, Help Reverend Wong in uh, uh, leading Subang and, and, and uh, taking that big step. It was a midlife crisis. For many midlife crises, you buy a motorbike or buy a car. For me, it was go to seminary. Maybe some of you will experience the same. We pray. <laughs> so be courageous. Whatever God, but seek counsel. Go to your elders. Go to the people you're close to. God wants me to, I feel that I'm led to do this. Well, Seek out the wise counsel of your congregation, of your elders, and see if this is truly something that God wants you to do. And be courageous and do it. Why? Because you know that the end is going to end well. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That him who he has justified, he will glorify. That not one of his he will lose. 
your salvation is eternal and secure in Christ. So be, comf be comforted, be courageous, and the third, be caring. Be caring. You see, this covenant that was given to you is not given to you individually or personally. It's given to you as a people. The covenant words are always, you are my God and we are your people. And so as a congregation, as a community of covenant people, live in such a way that, that God has called you to love one another gen with genuine love, to be with one another, to pursue one another, to pursue community, to, sh to, to live the Acts 2.42, to Acts 2 in the people of how they live, that no one was in need, that everyone was cared for. That as we enter 2024, this is what we remember. We can actually take comfort, take courage, and care for one another as we move in, as we move on to 2024. Let us pray. Amen. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not called us and left us alone in our, with our own strength, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to journey with us and to walk with us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you fill them with your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into 2024. That whatever we have suffered in the past, we do not look back, but look forward with gratefulness and thankfulness because you have been a faithful God to us. You have never left us, nor have you forsaken us. You have carried us through the wilderness and brought us to a place where we can rest. Lord, we pray, I pray for this covenant community that you have called us to, that we will live our lives in such a way that glorifies you and is pleasing to you, that wherever you have put us and placed us, Lord, at our workplaces, that we may shine and, and bring glory to your name. Lead us, we pray, into 2024. Take us as a congregation, as a, as a covenant people, to do your will wherever you have planted us. Lord, we go with courage, knowing that you who began a good work will bring it to completion. So be with us, Lord, we pray, into 2024. In Jesus' name, amen.